Hello everyone, welcome back to the 1971 podcast. This is episode three. I hope you're all doing well. Thank you for joining again. Today is gonna be a little bit of a shorter podcast, I predict. I do hope that it's okay. Um, There's various reasons behind that, um, but I guess I just wanna trial different lengths of episodes and kind of see like what feels right and what is comfortable, what flows, that kind of thing. Um, I do hope to have more detail one coming up, but I also have a busy month as well with lots of games. So I just hope to bring more content across the board. I'm just trying to like figure out what I want to do with this podcast and where I want it to go. I mean, I'd love to get guests on one day, um, but one one podcast at a time, eh? Uh, welcome back. After that terrible intro, and this is like, I don't even know what attempt this is of recording that intro. This is episode three. So today I am going to talk about the Arnold Clark Cup uh, lineup, uh, the Conti Cup, um, and a lot more. So stay tuned. The first thing that I want to talk about is the recent lineup for the Arnold Clark Cup. After the transfer window, I think we were all very interested to see what this would be. So I do have a few opinions on it, a few questions. So let's just delve into it. Firstly, four keepers have been called up. Um, my question is why? We have three games. Um, Mary Earps and Ellie Roebuck are probably the only ones that are going to get played. I'm very happy for Emily Ramsey for getting a call up, but honestly, why Why do we need four, four keepers? Like, I just don't... I don't understand it. I don't think we need four. Like, if it was, like, the World Cup or the Euros or, like, a, like a competition that was going on longer... I would get it but four keepers just feels a bit excessive if I'm being honest I just think it's took a spot away from someone else um, down the pitch I think overall the defenders that were called up is what I expected it to be but there's one name that is missing from that list for me and I think for a lot of people and that is Gabby George she's been having an incredible season for Everton she has been a driving force for their campaign this year I guess in a way she could have more of a chance of getting a call up if Rachel Daly makes the permanent move forward down the pit. Um, but I do want to save um, the next England's number nine chat for another day. There's a lot to talk about there, so I will discuss that in another day. Serena said she can be left back, she can be centre back, but for her, she is a left back, and the competitors that are in that position that also play left back won the competition at this moment, but they are following her very closely. To me personally, and a general mood that I'm seeing online is that Gabby does win that competition over other players, but I think in this case, maybe it's experience and other people that have been called up before has come into play. Serena obviously sees something in other players that we don't and doesn't see what we see in Gabby. I just hope she gets the call up that she deserves by the summer. Now, moving down the pitch, I think the movement of the transfer window made us hopeful to see two names on this list who ultimately didn't make it. One of those names being Jordan Knobs. I agree with the point that Serena made in her press conference that game time doesn't automatically qualify you for international call-up. That is correct. It is about the quality of play. I think I, the way that Serena looks at it and the way she makes her decisions, it ultimately starts from the last international break. 
it is too soon to call Jordan up, in my opinion. Now I've stopped and I thought about it and looked at other people that have been called up. But if she continues in the form that she's performing in, she, in my opinion, will get the call up. But I don't think her current form eclipses the other midfielders that have been called up. I just think, yeah, she's making the right move and she's getting that game time and, you know, she's dedicated to being at the World Cup. And I think that's amazing. I think Serena sees that. I just think it's a little bit too soon. Like, she's only had so much game time. I don't think it's up there from what we know from Jordan. Like, she, she's an incredible player. She always will be an incredible player. And I think, you know, moving to a different team, a different setup, playing with new people after 12 years of the same, not system, but like, you know, she's got to adjust. Um, Villa's very different to Arsenal. So I think she's she's making moves and she's going in the right direction. But I just think for what Serena wants and what Serena needs and what we need to see from the Lionesses, Jordan's not up there yet. She will be because she is that type of player. She has that quality of a player. I just think it's it's not the right time. Give her another month, give her another couple of months, weeks, whatever. I think she will be up there. Like she's probably one of, you know, the best players in the WSL. Because she's not been getting that game time, because she's had injuries, her standards have dropped a little bit. And I think it's just gonna take time. It's just a learning curve. Now, applying that logic to Beth England is a little bit different, in my opinion. Yes, she's not been getting the game time, she's not been getting the goals, she's not, you know, we, we've seen incredible things from her in past seasons, but, you know, the last couple of seasons, you know, since the arrival of Sam Kerr, she's not really been getting the game time. But I do think it's a little bit different than Jordan's situation. Yes, you could argue it's the same with game time and adjustment, etc., etc. But to me, I think, I think in a way Beth should have been caught up. She has scored three goals in her last four games since the transfer to Spurs. And she was part of Chelsea's win against Leicester in December, if we're talking about game time, since last international break. It's a difficult one, as Ebony Salmon has been called up when she's out of season. That, this whole argument that if Rachel Daly was still playing in America, she would have been called up. But I think Rachel's form and reputation is very different to Ebony. Ebony is young and has a lot to learn. So coming to these camps will be helpful for her. I think overall, this whole lineup and, you know, questioning should, should Jordan have been called up? Should Beth have been called up? Should this person have been called up? Should Lucy Stanley have been called up? Etc. Etc. I think it does come down to the choice of four keepers, as mentioned before. Like I said, it's not needed. And it's taken an opportunity away from a field player, in my, in my opinion. But at the same time, only six midfielders have been called up and seven forwards. So I guess at the same time, you could argue that seven midfielders or eight forwards would be too much. But honestly, this is my opinion and people might disagree. The only, the only thing is four keepers is too much. I stand by that. And if, you know, if only three keepers were called up, it would have left space elsewhere and in some ways i do think that space should have gone to beth england i do i do that's my opinion but i guess time will tell again you can apply the same logic as i said about jordan to beth it's all about timing it's all about adjustment it's about getting that quality game time to me beth's had more quality game time than jordan in the last month but we digress and we move on 
talk about the Conta Cup, guys. There is there is a lot to talk about there. I'm probably like gonna like derail and like go off topic a little bit because there is an issue that I want to talk about within this because there has been a debate that has well actually there's two debates that has risen during this week. Um, so the first game that we had of the week was Arsenal v City. What a tense 90 minutes that was. So this leads me to my first topic that I want to discuss. I think Leo Williamson got off very, very lucky with that elbow to the face of Lauren Hemp. In my opinion, that should have been a red card. I do want to talk about something. I don't want to think, I don't want Arsenal fans to think I'm coming for Arsenal because I'm not. I think Arsenal are great. They've got great players. Great team, great history. Love them. But there is something I'm very on the fence about and I want to discuss. Irish officials, media, refs, coaches, whatever, like people in a higher power, are they biased towards Arsenal? Leah with the elbow to the face of Lauren is just an example. I am 95% sure and I stand by this, that if any other team, even with the standards of referees in the women's game, I'm pretty sure that would have seen at least a yellow card. Fans at the game have said it was clearly a red card. The replay shows contact. Commentators said that it was momentum of the tackle, but I, I don't think that applies in this case. So, you know, I see it all the time. People saying, oh, the refs are biased. Are they wearing an Arsenal kit underneath the clothes? Like, I do think there is some ground for that. And I'm just gonna give you some examples and then we'll get to like my final point. Recently, this season at the Emirates, Arsenal were awarded a penalty after a tackle from Neve Charles on Caitlin Ford. I thought from being there, being there in person, that should have been a booking and a yellow card. I thought from being there that it should have been a booking and a yellow card. I am not disputing that there was contact on Caitlin Ford. But the contact in question that was punished happened outside the box. Yes, Caitlin Ford fell into the box, but where else was she meant to go? It, you know, she was falling forward, whether you can just you can dispute that yourself, whether she did that on purpose or not. I, she had nowhere else to go. She was falling forward. She just happened to fall in a very convenient place. Convenient for Arsenal. Not saying, I'm not saying anything, do not, I'm just saying, that is how it is. But that contact that caused that happened outside the box. So in my opinion, that should not have been a penalty. And I do wonder if that was any other team, would they've still been rewarded a penalty? That's just one example. There's been so many different like calls for like diving, red cards, opposition goals getting ruled out, penalties not being given. Last season, Chelsea fans felt that they should have been awarded a penalty after a handball from Leah. Again, I'm sorry, Leah, it's, it keeps coming back to Leah Williamson in their game last February. Her arms were in a raised position to block the ball. So in my opinion, I feel that Chelsea fans have ground there. That was a clear handball. Alex Scott suggested last year that Millie Bright's performance at the Euros was because Leah Williamson was her centre-back partner. Whilst Leah may have helped or improved in those said games, I don't think that is a, a, that is a valid comment because of how well Millie does at Chelsea when obviously she's not playing with Leah. Maybe Alex said it in the moment, you know, Leah's her best friend, she's ex-Arsenal, like, 
Leah's captain, she wants to bigger up. I love Alex Scott, but I don't think that was a very justified comment in my opinion. Media can also seem to be very biased towards Beth Mead, who has had an incredible year before her injury. But fans argue that on paper, Sam Kerr and Alexia Portellis has achieved so much more than her, or just as much as her, but don't get the same amount of credit. But could that just be more of an English bias, which I'll go into later, opposed to an Arsenal bias? It is also like, it has also been noted that during the last match between Arsenal and Spurs, which happens to be at the Emirates again, that was shown on TV, there was a heavy feature slash footage on Arsenal, but none for Spurs, who might not have as much history as Arsenal, but they still have history that's worth mentioning. There's also been debates about commentators being biased towards Arsenal and often being called out for being secret fans. I can understand why listening to some of the commentators, I'm not going to mention any names, I all think they're great, do a great job. There's, there's the odd comments sometimes and I'm like, that sounds a little bit biased, but okay, okay. There's no, there's no proof either way, it's just, it's just opinions based on how they come across. Uh, there's a few commentators that sometimes I'm a bit there like, being a little bit biased right now. Is this all swings and roundabouts though? Is this all swings and roundabouts? Aren't fans always gonna call out something when it's the opposite side and say, it should have been this, it should have been that, that, that player should have got a card. But then doesn't it all come back to the more important debate of poor refereeing? Or more importantly, the lack of resources available? I think personally, this is just my personal opinion, there is definitely some level of media biased from commentators and pundits alike towards Arsenal. Maybe it's because an amount of those people are ex-Arsenal players who have these jobs. No hate to them, just an observation. I think they're all absolute legends, especially Alex Scott. Mm, at work, I, um, I'm so sorry for this, Alex, if you ever hear this by some chance. I nearly walked into you a couple of days after the Euros at the BBC you were definitely hung over and you were wearing sunglasses inside, but I'm sorry that I nearly walked into you and made, made it 10 times worse. Still think you're great, still think you're a legend. But I think the argument needs to be on refereeing because I've seen, I've seen some pretty poor decisions despite who the team was. Just to name a few. Alex Greenwood had a handball in the Manchester Derby in December. Wasn't called. Frank Kirby had a very clear offside goal against Reading that wasn't called. Though Chelsea fans could argue that is karma after all the decisions against them. Those are just two off the top of my head thinking of other teams. The list is endless because women's football isn't at the level it should be. There's no VAR in these games, but as we're seeing in the men's game, VAR and the right resources for refs isn't always the right thing because there's still questionable decisions there. But my opinion, on an elbow to the face of Lauren Hemp, it should have at least been a yellow card but it, in my opinion, it was a red. It was direct contact. Was it handball last season? Yes. Still think Leo Williamson is an absolute legend. I just wish there was more consistency in this game. So back to the consequence. We also had Chelsea v West Ham. Expect a 7-0 win. I thought West Ham were gonna bring it more, especially after their draw against Arsenal, but I guess it proved too much for them to face two of the biggest teams in a matter of days. I think if they faced Chelsea first, then the result would have been different. So now we have our Conte Cup final, Chelsea v Arsenal. This has caused a lot of reaction online. They only entered at the quarter final stages due to playing in the Champions League, 
whereas other teams have been competing since the group stage. Has it given them an unfair advantage? In my opinion, yes. I do not like how the Quanti Cup is structured as a whole. And I think this is a very valid and important point to this argument. A Conti Cup is still a domestic trophy and clubs are still going to want to win it either way. But I personally don't like the fact that these teams, these two teams have entered halfway through. This, is, this isn't their fault, of course. It is down to the structure of the Conti Cup and the Women's Champions League. The men's team can play in up to four competitions at any point. The Premier League, the FA Cup, the Carabao Cup, which the Conti Cup is meant to be like, and the Champions League. So, in my opinion, the women's teams need to get to a point where they can play in the WSL, the FA Cup, the Conti Cup, and the Women's Champions League all at the same time, in my opinion. It's, it's going to take time. The international break, the structure needs to be looked at too. So it all, like, it all plays into one. You know, we need a better structure on the Champions League. We need a better structure on the international break. We need a better structure on the Conti Cup. To sort one out, you're going to have to sort out the others. They all need to work in harmony and they're not at the moment. And it goes back to what I discussed last week about international break structures being not the best and puts players at even a bigger, higher risk of injury. So it's not just one simple fix. Everything needs to work together and they're not. They're not. It's not one single thing. So I want to talk about something that I have like touched upon in the last two episodes. Um, but I want to delve into it a little bit more from watching the Conti Cup and you know the current form of Man City. I want to talk about why Hayley Rasso is not being played or she's not starting the way I think she should be or you know rotation isn't happening football is subjective we all have our own opinions and preferred starters um but in this case you know it's chloe kelly that is starting over hayley more and more and more if you prefer chloe over hayley that's absolutely fine that is that is your opinion and you're entitled to it like i said football is subjective but these this is this is just my thoughts Hayley made 13 appearances last season and scored three goals in that time. When she was at Everton, she scored five goals in 19 appearances. During her time at Portland Thorns, she made 72 appearances and scored 13 times. You know, there's obviously she's played for other teams and those stats might not be completely correct because it's really hard to get women's stats, it seems. I think though, when talking about Hayley, we also need to talk about her skills outside of the goals. She, she really, really tries, in my opinion, and gets down the pitch. She's aggressive. Most of the time, if she starts or is brought on earlier on in the game, she is scoring a goal, or she's at least given it her best damn try. Compare this to Chloe, who has made 38 appearances and scored 12 goals. Again, that could be a little bit off because women's stats are so hard to get. She's also missed a chunk of playing time due to her ACL, which on a whole makes her story inspirational. Like, I, I don't think I'm coming for Chloe Kelly. I think Chloe Kelly is incredible. And of course, she scored that winning goal in the Euros, which we can never take away from her. And we will remember that forever. But take aside that winning moment from the Euros, 
What does Chloe have over Haley? This is the WSL, not the Euros. You want to play your best players, right? Why why is City not playing Haley when to me she's she is one of their best players and it's a general mood online. I believe Chloe is a very important and key player to City, but technically is she a better player than Haley? No. That's, that's my opinion, she's not. With the way City are performing at the moment, I don't understand why rotation isn't happening. Hayley has proven when she gets on the pitch, she can perform. At least when Chelsea constantly plays Sam Kerr, you can kind of justify that, just about. The results are there, we've seen it, you know, when she's on it, she's on it. So you can't, this, this situation's a little bit different. Maybe Gareth Taylor and the rest of the coaching staff are seeing something different, but right now, the only explanation I can think of is English bias. The winning goal at the Euros. City might want to commercialise that, use it for clout, whatever their decision is. But it's not working. It's not working, and they will probably lose Hayley in the summer. And that, you do not want to lose Hayley Rasso as a player. to end on something that has me a little bit excited for the future of women's football. So Wrexham is set to become the first club in the Welsh pyramid to have a semi-professional club. Ryan Reynolds has already said he's aiming for the Premier League for the men's team so it only makes sense he could be aiming for the WSL for the women's team. If promoted to the Welsh like the top of the Welsh top league that team will become semi-pro. If promoted Wrexham women, that team will become semi-pro and, you know, just making it more official that they are leading the way in Welsh women's football. It comes after the club applied for a tier one license for the upcoming season. This has me a little bit excited, like a little bit excited. Like I just love seeing things like this, like just little pockets of like history being made. And that is history right there. Like England winning the Euros, the WSL becoming professional, you know, just, just amazing things like that. And now we're seeing, we're seeing it in Wales. And it's amazing. And I wanna shout about it. So I wanna rave about Wales. Like that is, that is amazing for Wales. And I just hope, you know, we see more and more of it because what a time to be alive for women's football. How amazing is that? And that concludes this week's episode of the 1971 podcast. Like I said, it's probably going to be a lot shorter than the last two episodes. I want to trial the length. Um, there is a few issues within women's football I want to talk about in great detail. So I kind of like want to save that for another day. Um, that kind of thing. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah.